This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. What do the border crisis and TikTok have in common? Recently, there's been a surge in Chinese nationals massing at the U.S. southern border, many skipping the treacherous trek other illegal immigrants face. But how are they doing it? They're getting tips from Douyin, China's TikTok. Both apps share the same parent company, ByteDance. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Chinese migrants illegally crossing the southern border into the United States are growing fast faster than any other groups. Some of them found tips for the long trek on social media. One of them is Douying, the Chinese counterpart of the popular app TikTok. Here are the details. Scenes like these are becoming more common along the U.S.-Mexico border. Long lines of Chinese nationals being questioned by U.S. Border Patrol agents. The people here, the police here, I think they are very calm. That's the, uh, that's the America in my head. A growing number of illegal Chinese immigrants are crossing into the United States from Mexico without visas, taking irregular overland routes across Latin America. Over the course of three weeks, Reuters witnessed hundreds of them along an isolated border stretch in southeastern Texas. Reuters interviewed more than two dozen. All of those interviewed said they got the idea to take the land route on social media and drew on influencers, private groups, and comments to plan their trips. We're blurring their faces and not naming them to protect their identity. Uh, I go to Hong Kong from my Hubei first, and then to Thailand from Hong Kong by plane, and then Turkey from Thailand by plane and a quarter and up, up uh, through the South America to America here. The Chinese embassy in Washington said in an email that it opposes illegal migration, which it called an international issue that requires cooperation between countries. The economic aftershocks of China's pandemic lockdowns, coupled with the difficulty of obtaining U.S. visas, have led to a sharp increase in Chinese nationals presenting at the U.S.-Mexico border. That's according to immigration experts, attorneys, and current and former U.S. officials. China had a very strict uh, zero COVID-19 tolerance policy. So basically everything is shut down, home shut down. Business shut down, the whole country shut down. The people cannot uh, stay at home uh, staring at uh, the war all the time. They have to make money to make ends meet. The, the mortgage has to be paid and uh, the food has to be on the table. So they have no opportunity over there. Apprehensions of Chinese nationals at the U.S.-Mexican border reached more than 6,500 in the six months since October 2022. That's according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection data. While just a sliver of the hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants arriving at the southwest border, Chinese people were the fastest growing demographic in those six months. That's according to Customs and Border Protection data. Some of them had relied on social media for detailed instructions for the trip, including what shoes to wear and how to find and pay for a reliable local guide. 
One of the platforms is the short video app Douyin, the Chinese counterpart of TikTok. I started talking about getting out of the country on the social media such as uh, Douyin, the Chinese version of TikTok, and uh, some other platforms. So they uh, exchange the information how to get out of the country, how to go to Ecuador from Europe or Macau, Hong Kong. Both TikTok and Douyin are owned by ByteDance. The company did not respond to Reuters' requests for comment on the role of their websites in encouraging the increase in irregular migration. ByteDance is based in Beijing and has links to the Chinese Communist Party. With those figures on the rise, more stories from those who made the trip are coming out. Within three weeks, Reuters witnessed hundreds of illegal immigrants from China crossing into Texas and interviewed more than two dozen. All of them said they got the land route idea on social media. Drawing on influencers, private groups and comments to plan their trips, about half said they had been small business owners in China, running online stores, a sheep farm and a movie production company. Some wore crosses and carried Chinese-language Bibles, saying they were Christians who felt they could not freely practice their faith at home. A Customs and Border Protection statement said it works with interagency task forces to track the rising border crossings. The agency is also targeting transnational criminal organizations that specifically smuggle Chinese nationals. Homeland Security says social media have increased smugglers' access to potential illegal immigrants. Visa holders and border crossers can't request U.S. asylum on arrival if they fear persecution at home. Justice Department data shows asylum seekers from China win around 60 percent of the time in U.S. immigration court. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol is marking the 70th anniversary of the alliance between the U.S. and South Korea. In an address to the U.S. Congress on Thursday, he paid tribute to the American service members who fought in the Korean War in the 1950s and brought up the topic of North Korea's nuclear threat. We have many reasons to celebrate our platinum anniversary. We had no guarantees of success when it started. But today, our alliance is stronger than ever, more prosperous together, and more connected like no other. His speech covered economic cooperation and cultural exchanges. But more than anything, the South Korean president highlighted the threat his country faces. North Korea's nuclear program and missile provocations pose a serious threat to the peace on the Korean Peninsula and beyond. To deter its reckless behavior, the alliance must stand united with determination. He is calling for greater security cooperation among the U.S., Japan and South Korea. Thank you. A packed House chamber greeted his speech with a standing ovation and loud cheers. Democratic Congressman Jim Costa, who sits on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, told NTD his reaction to the speech by call. I thought those were all high points, uh, along with uh, uh, reminding all of us that North Korea is a threat to not just South Korea, but to the Indo-Pacific, and that we must stand together with our partners in the Indo-Pacific to deal with the threat of, of North Korea. 
Costa also said he wished Yoon would have talked more about communist China because it's a bigger economy compared to North Korea and a bigger challenge to deal with. The congressman added that lawmakers from both parties need to come together and have a strategic plan to deal with the Chinese regime. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. The full interview with Democratic Congressman Jim Costa will air after the break. North Korea is stepping up aggression against the West. The most severe threat, its nuclear power. Earlier this year, we spoke to Grant Newsham, retired Marine colonel and senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, for details on North Korea's nuke expansion and China's role in it. Take a look. Well, that's the thing to remember. It's not like North Korea thinks this up on their own. They probably would. Uh, but North Korea is a creature of China, the Chinese communists. Uh, could not survive more than a few days without uh, the oil, food, electricity, the trade with China. It just wouldn't survive. Uh, and you look at uh, China's, uh, what they have done to build up North Korea's arsenal. Uh, North Korea would not have nuclear weapons without Chinese help. Uh, wouldn't have the missiles it has with ch without Chinese help. He said that communist China is supporting its communist neighbor with weapons to distract the West. When you see on the videos, you'll see these North Korean missiles being rolled out on this uh, this uh, tractor that has many wheels. And, but the tractor comes from China. Uh, and you look at the people who really know this stuff, they'll look at the, the weaponry and say, oh, yeah, China, China, China. Now, to keep in mind, North Korea is a very useful tool for China terms of keeping its uh, adversaries, its self-declared self adversaries, uh, the Americans, the Japanese, etc., occupied, focused on North Korea instead of looking at things like Taiwan. Newsham added that nobody likes to talk about the nuclear threat, but it's there. An urgent call on Beijing to free an American detained in China. The Texas businessman named Mark Swedan was handed a death sentence with a two-year reprieve in 2019. He's been in custody since 2012. The House passed a bill on Tuesday urging Beijing to immediately release Swedan. Mark Swedan is an American, a Texan, and a hostage of the Chinese Communist Party for more than a decade. Congressman Michael Cloud sponsored the bill. He says the vote sends a clear message that the U.S. would defend Americans who are wrongly imprisoned by authoritarian regimes. Sudan was arrested in China in 2012 on drug-related charges. He's been detained in a Chinese prison since then. This April, a Chinese court decided to uphold Sudan's death sentence. Sudan is one of three Americans currently detained in China. Another is Li Kai, a naturalized U.S. citizen born in China. He was detained on a 2016 visit to relatives in Shanghai and is now serving a 10-year prison sentence. Never would we have imagined in our wildest dreams that he'd be whisked away by agents of China's Ministry of State Security on these charges of espionage. Then there's U.S. Pastor David Lin. Lin became a Christian after coming to the U.S. Later, he went back to China to share his beliefs and became active with house church activities there. In 2006, Chinese authorities arrested and charged him with contract fraud. He was handed a life sentence. China later reduced that charge, and Lin is set to be released in 2030. A top Biden advisor says the U.S. doesn't seek a decoupling from China. 
That's despite a widening rift with Beijing over political issues. Here are more comments from National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. We are for de-risking and diversifying, not decoupling. Sullivan made the remarks in a speech in Washington Thursday. He said U.S. export controls will focus on technologies that could tilt the military balance. We are simply ensuring that U.S. and allied technology is not used against us. We are not cutting off trade. He said Washington will invest in secure, resilient supply chains and will push for a level playing field. But he noted that the U.S.-China trade relationship has remained substantial. Bilateral goods trade in 2022 added up to an all-time high, reaching nearly $700 billion. Though analysts say China is now shifting foreign goods purchases from the U.S. to other countries, on the U.S. side, new export bans may further shrink trade volume in semiconductor chips. Besides Sullivan, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen also recently denied a U.S.-China decoupling. Yellen warned that efforts to decouple from China would be disastrous, adding that national security measures that target Beijing aren't meant to stifle its economy. China's global outreach has hit yet another bumper. That's as military conflict continues in Sudan. Clashes erupted between the Sudanese armed forces and a paramilitary group on April 15th, resulting in the deaths of nearly 500 civilians. The North African country has been a major receiver of China's Belt and Road Initiative, a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure outreach project. It's often seen as a way for China to gain control of critical systems overseas. Over the years, China has poured more than $20 billion into the nation's infrastructure, including the oil sector, ports, road, bridges and power grids. Chinese investments in Sudan are now dealing a major blow amid the conflict. Workers say they're keeping all lights switched off in their offices to avoid being targeted. Despite both sides having agreed to a 72-hour ceasefire, gunshots and explosions can still be heard. Worth noting, China was a major trade partner to Sudan's oil sector. But things changed following South Sudan's succession in 2011, taking most of the nation's oil fields. China has since reduced its reliance on Sudanese oil. Over to the UK, King Charles III will be crowned next weekend. More than 2,000 guests have been invited. Among them, a Chinese official sparks concerns. He was a key player in the crackdown on pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. Here are the details. Political says Han Zhong, the recently appointed deputy to Chinese leader Xi Jinping, is expected to represent China at the celebrations on the 6th of May. His presence will likely anger Conservative MPs who are critical of the Chinese regime and fear that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is too friendly toward Beijing. In 2019, Han proposed an extradition bill that could have potentially allowed Hong Kong suspects to be sent for trial in China. The bill triggered widespread pro-democracy protests lasting 13 weeks. It was withdrawn, but China imposed a national security law in 2020, making it easier to prosecute protesters. Hong Kong has a special relationship to the UK. The city was governed by the UK until 1997, when communist China was handed back control. During its time as a British colony, a rule of law system was established in the city. 
allowing it to develop from a village into an international financial center. Back to the Chinese official Han Jin, in 2020, U.S. Republican lawmakers suggested sanctions on some high-ranking Chinese officials, including him. But the penalties were never imposed. Coming up, South Korean President Yoon Suk-yul wrapping up his U.S. visit. NTD congressional correspondent Melina Weiskopf spoke to Congressman Jim Costa about the nuclear threat from North Korea and Washington's approach to China. The strength of America is when we're together. When we're together, uh, when we have the, as Abraham Lincoln once said, the political will, then almost everything is possible. Without it, almost nothing is possible. And that's why we must be together on these important foreign policies. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The South Korean president's U.S. visit is coming to an end. While in Washington, he spoke to President Biden, addressed Congress, and visited the Pentagon. His trip got a lot of attention, especially amid the rising nuclear threat from North Korea and China's role in it. NTD congressional correspondent Melina Weiskopf spoke to Congressman Jim Costa, a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, for details. And then speaking of the modern-day relationship between South Korea and the United States, uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol and President Biden have recently announced they'll increase their nuclear deterrence capabilities. From your perspective, this is in light of the uh, nuclear threats from both China and North Korea. From your perspective, do you think that there is an actual nuclear threat from these two authoritarian regimes? Uh, certainly. Um, and I think that North Korea has made no secret of the fact that they have continued to develop nuclear weapons and the means to uh, launch those weapons on intercontinental missiles, along with short-range uh, missiles that are capable of reaching uh, Japan and uh, the Philippines. And uh, so North Korea is uh, run by a dictator that uh, has uh, been uh, abusive. His father has been abusive, and his grandfather. I mean, this is a whole um, autocracy of uh, dictatorships uh, that uh, are a problem for Korea, but a problem for Japan and the United States and all the democratic nations in the Indo-Pacific. China, I wish he had spoken of greater detail in, because uh, North Korea is such a small economy, and I think that uh, the deterrent, nuclear deterrence that we are continuing to increase and improve um, can, can deal with the challenges of North Korea. But China in the 21st century uh, is an adversary. Uh, they're a competitor, and they're a vast market. And I think we have to have a, a strong strategy, uh, not only with our Indo-Pacific partners, but with Europe as we deal with China, uh, because they are the, 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 the larger challenge I think we find in, uh, in Asia. To speak a little bit more to the relationship between the U.S. and South Korea in relation to China, uh, the president of South Korea recently said that North, South Korea, like Taiwan, is not an issue just only with regards to their countries alone, it has global implications with regards to North Korea and Taiwan and China. Um, and then this created harsh pushback from Beijing. 
What do you make of the president of South Korea's comments about the global importance of the nation? Well, I think that uh, it's important that the president of Korea, uh, along with the president of Taiwan, and our allies in uh, Australia and, and, and uh, the Philippines and, and Japan, uh, that we stand together and that we let uh, China know that uh, uh, they can be uh, good partners in the uh, world of global trade, or they can be bad partners. And uh, I think many of us are concerned with the adversarial role that China has continued to play under President Xi's leadership now that he's declared himself president for life and his uh, efforts with the uh, Belt and Road policy throughout the world, uh, not only in Africa, but in South America. And so you look at the buildup of the Chinese military in the last 20 years, and we must take this all very seriously. And, and the fact is, is that we have a coalition of partners uh, that uh, uh, together uh, really uh, are the world's economy. And if we stand together, if we have a strategic plan, uh, I think we can deal with the threats of China. But we must have a strategic plan to deal with China. Speaking of the strategic plan that you say we need, as well as the bipartisan cooperation around the issue of China that we've seen during this Congress, what is your current assessment on the work that you all have done in foreign affairs? How bipartisan is the work you've done on China, what work do you wish to see with regards to South Korea, if you could just update us on this? Well, I think that the House Foreign Relations Committee has got generally a, um, a bipartisan approach, uh, not only as it relates to uh, Korea uh, and Taiwan, but certainly uh, with the threat that China poses. And uh, we have yet to come together with, I think, a, a longer-term strategy, and I think we need to think that through with the administration. I, we need to get back to the era when, when politics ended uh, at uh, the water's edge, as we used to say. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, Democrats and Republicans have similar, share similar concerns about China. And we therefore have to figure out how we work together on those concerns that we share uh, to have a united, a united front. Do you think that it's there's a hold up, hold up politically? You said we need to get back to this well, mentality. Well, in recent years, we've seen that uh, partisan politics has interjected itself on our international uh, relations. We saw we've seen that in Europe. Uh, we see still a small group that uh, are uh, indicating that uh, our involvement in Ukraine is not necessary. So, you know, the, the, the strength of America is when we're together. When we're together, uh, when we have the, as Abraham Lincoln once said, the political will, then almost everything is possible. Without it, almost nothing is possible. And that's why we must be together on these important foreign policies uh, that, uh, again, the, the one constant factor is that the United States is the superpower of the world. And we are the, uh, you know, democracy that is the beacon of light and hope for other democratic nations around the world, and we must act that way. And what would that strategic plan, from your perspective, look like? Well, I think it, it, it's on mutual respect with our democratic allies, whether it's in the Indo-Pacific or whether it's in Europe, 
Uh, we share common uh, human rights uh, in terms of values. Uh, we share a host of other um, important uh, regards to the institutions of democracy. And uh, we must remember that we have far more in common than whatever differences we may have. And we can walk through our differences, but we must stand together as democratic nations. Thank you, Congressman, for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.